Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School, where drawing, painting, and sculpture are studied in-depth, debated energetically, and created with passion. The school's full-time programs, a two-year MFA, and a three-year certificate prioritize experimental learning and perception. Beginning in fall 2021, the Studio School welcomes artists from around the world to join its inaugural virtual certificate program. Combining the studio-centric emphasis of the school's teaching methods with an individual real-time approach to online learning, this full-time program is designed for serious artists and dedicated aspiring artists who seek to cultivate the studio skills and methods that will prepare them for a lifetime of art making. The priority application deadline is April 30th, 2021. Apply online today at nyss.org. Angela Dufresne is a painter originally from Connecticut, raised in Kansas, and now based in Brooklyn. Her work articulates non-paranoid, porous ways of being in a world fraught by fear, power, and possession through painting, drawing, and performance works. She wields heterotopic narratives that are both non-hierarchical and perverse. She's had solo exhibitions at the Kemper Museum in Kansas City, called Making Scene in the fall of 2018, and a solo at the Dorsky Museum at SUNY New Paltz, entitled Just My Type in 2019. She's exhibited at Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, PS1 Contemporary Art Center in New York, the National Academy of Arts and Letters in New York, the Kemper Museum in Kansas City, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, the Cleveland Institute of Art, the Aldrich Museum in Connecticut, Sarah Lawrence College in Yonkers, the Rose Museum in Massachusetts, Mills College of Oakland, California, and the Minneapolis School of Art and Design. She's currently Associate Professor of Painting at RISD. Awards and honors include the National Academy of Arts and Design induction in 2018, a 2016 Guggenheim Fellowship, a residency at Yaddo, a Purchase Award in the National Academy of Arts and Letters, two fellowships at the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, the Center for Arts in Sausalito, California, and a Jerome Foundation Fellowship. Here's Angela and I in conversation. I mean, they sound, I mean, the ones I listen to, it's, it's, you know, I mean, I do listen to these sometimes. I have like a really interesting, I feel like these days it's very important. The, um, the, the relationship that, um, artists have with their, you know, with their, um, mm, soundtrack. And I mean, I guess this is part of this podcast and, um, you know, for years I was listening to, I mean, kind of like, there was like a period of like, two years was like where I was only listening to like Japanese post psych 
punk music. And it was just like lay Re- like three weeks of lay relays to nudes recordings, you know? And like, right. <laughs> and like, I wasn't, you know, I couldn't even fathom listening. This is like right in the beginning of what were considered podcasts or like YouTube lectures and things like that, you know? And I yeah. just couldn't imagine. I've actually never really, um, gone into the realm of podcast obsession by any means it's not like my go-to i mean like yesterday i was painting all day and i was listening to i was i was listening to my pdf software reader um listening to a bunch of pdfs i download downloaded of interviews with john acomfra the filmmaker Uh yeah and it was just like i was just in the room with him but read by this robotic voice <laughs> like really like crazy crazy um com- like like way of of getting um of being able to read um you know but without and whilst multitasking you know so right. and i do this more and more and i've actually developed a kind of a crush on my female robotic voice that reads from this 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 thing called V books, which is, I mean, it's literally, I mean, it's, it's like what Siri would used to be if she sounded even more, um, what's the word, uh, retro nineties or something Ro- right. like robotic voices, like obsolete robotic voice. Like it's become so much closer to the human these days. And, yeah. um, this one isn't, and I actually love it. I, I, I love the cyborg voice that reads it to me because it doesn't interpret it just yeah. it it does certain inflections in the language if it understands um that the question ends that that the, I'm sorry that the sentence ends with a question or a period and so right. it has these like you know um these these um escalations and then these sort of de-escalations or however you describe that like the peak and the and the valleys of the of the kind of energy of the sentence it kind of understands that but that's like as subtle as it gets it's it's amazing it's amazing yeah i i think that's a part i mean you know people like of a certain generation and above we you know there's like retro things that come back that you kind of a really hyper aware of because you went through the first iteration of it and i think younger kids are really into that sort of like early like the first foyer into like you know computer generated audio voices because mm-hmm. like you know they're using it on like tiktok videos and stuff where it'll like read out like text mm-hmm. but you could tell it's just like you know fetishizing a kind of like a retro sort of tech thing that existed before they were even alive <laughs> probably <laughs> i mean is there anything not fetish about tiktok it's like oh my god uh, it's, it's, it's true it's really crazy and yeah yeah, the whole relationship. And and to your point about, you know, the value, I've definitely seen that in the conversations pre and post pandemic, the sort of value that people put on, you know, what is on in the house or in the studio. You know, it's funny because like people probably have a little more time to digest and, and intake media and TV, movies, videos and stuff since the mm-hmm. pandemic. But, um, you know, there's like this hierarchy of like, well, I'm in the studio I need this kind of thing, you know, and like a sort of compartmentalization of, of, you know, what you're digesting while you're working. It <laughs> definitely seems like a little more high key, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But what what's your relationship to that stuff? No, I mean, I think I'm just saying, you know, it's, um, you know, I just produced a whatever. I'm pretty much always producing work, not to produce, but just because there's, you know, questions yeah. <laughs> out there that I'm, <laughs> I'm grappling with, you know, it's like, but I, I did happen to just have two exhibitions and, you know, those really were a culmination of like two and a half, three years of work. And they, these were just swaths of the work that, you know, I was creating in these two bodies of work that, that, um, that I needed something to kind of decentralize my human self whilst making these works to a certain extent, a kind of um, distraction from what would be the, you know, I, I, to a certain extent, it would be like a, a disruption or a, 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 it's not, desta- it wouldn't be destabilizing, but a kind of a diffusing of like my emotional um, presence into these, into these subjects I'm dealing with, a sort of disbursement of myself through these subjects. And I, I find that I can't do that anymore um, just become really present with the thing and not with the feelings or the anxieties or the neurosis that I'm projecting onto the thing unless I'm unless I'm learning at the same time. I, and so yeah. I'm constantly reading in the studio. And I couldn't have done that 10 years ago. And I, I mean, I think that's five years ago, yes. But I think that's, um, you know, a kind of, I think it's indicative of just the the political urgency and and um just the just the level of um absurdity that we live in in this like late capitalist madness you know that you just yeah. I just feel like if I'm not in some way accumulating some kind of awareness at almost every second that um that uh I get, I'm more anxious and I feel more um, isolated in the self, in that self that I was like taught to be, be growing up in the Midwest in the seventies and eighties, you know? Yeah. And so it's it's like like this untraining of the self in a way to just try to bring all these voices into my thinking and, and, and to kind of keep me a little bit displaced from the, the center just yeah, probably not obvious and when one's looking at my work, but the work has changed <laughs> a lot and and um in many ways, in my mind anyway. And um it, for whatever reason, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, because it's just I'm I'm not really thinking so much about my um my individuality or my biography or you know whatever that is um as much as i feel like i'm you know trying to think about these these um uh, i i guess like all of those kind of laminated layers of of history and cause and the way that they're all kind of existing in this insane simultaneous flood of of habituation and and insanity basically (laughs) (laughs) that's so uh, the the parallel of what i was thinking about is this the fact that it just seems all so layered at once now whereas maybe Mm -hmm. 
you know, prior to, or even before, I mean, just think about the last year, mm-hmm. like towards the end of our last administration and all the sort of, I mean, no matter what you felt about it, and I mean, it's hard to imagine not feeling a certain way about it, but no matter what you felt about it, it was so constant, right? And then you had this new situation that we all found ourselves in with fear and anxiety and like, you know, worry and being trapped inside, you know, all this. Mm-hmm. It was just so much at once. And then the deluge of of like things to sort of try to escape out of that washing over you of like, oh, well, I got to lose myself in this or that. And the pressure to sort of, you know, adapt to all that at once. It's just Mm -hmm. so much Mm -hmm. like stimulus and, and information at once. I don't, I'm sure it's doing something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we'll see the forest from the trees, but, um, Mm. you know, it's something is, I mean, the shift has been happening regardless as far as like, you know, the, our ability to, to be exposed to all this information and stimulus Mm -hmm. and, but, and the speed of it and the different sort of, you know, ways that manifests itself within us. But I mean, it's just, it seems to have really hit a fever pitch. Mm. Yeah. I wish I'd had it back in the eighties in at least certain aspects of it. Again, I'm not like listening I'm not, you know, I'm not listening to the, the, or watching videos on like, who's the greatest, you know, anime character this year, or, <laughs> you know, although those things are, you know, sublime um, in the true sense of the word. Um, right. <laughs> and I'm not like, you know, although I, I, I do every now and then look at them because, you know, I have students maybe or whatever, but, um, but, and, and I'm not, you know, um, doing TikTok or I'm not on Twitter or something like that, but I am able to, as I said before, um, you know, download like, um, you know, hours and hours of PDF converted audio where I'm in a conversation with John O'Comfra that I I couldn't have had. And, and I, I really, you know, there's, there's a, I my practice has like very little to do with his and yet there's so much overlap at the same time and yeah. and and I I um and it's that sense of getting out of the limits of what what situation I was born into like you know young terrified lesbian in Kansas you know in the in the 80s like it wasn't pretty, you know, it was, it was S-A-D, you know, and and there was no, you know, I wasn't a good researcher in the, um, in, not that I even believe in that word, of course, I understand the connotations of that as basically biochemical or military industrial term, but whatever, I wasn't good at inquiring about, like, how to glean important powers from from history, like it's like I couldn't go into the library and find the right thing. I was looking at images, and and I'm, and now I can't. And th- that's in, that's incredible, you know. I mean, I think that's yeah. like a really incredible part of this. But the 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 um the the flip side of it is that you know there's that kind of Coca Cola or uh, maybe it's cocaine. I, I don't know, crystal meth. Um, but that kind of like kick, that cathartic kick that is so 
readily there. I mean, we all talk about this all the time, so it's kind of like tedious, but like, that's like, I mean, God, it's Breck's worst nightmare. You know, it's like, it's that weird thing where being actively participating in cultural production becomes the most pacifying, stupefying thing that could have ever happened. And it's horrifying, you know, it's horrifying. And, and then you have folks trying to analyze that in art, kind of reifying the same problem. It, it, it's, you know, it's endless. It, it's really endless. And, and, um, and um, I, 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 to tell you the truth, I don't know if we, unless we run out of power, I don't know if we'll ever actually come out of the deluge. I don't, yeah, I, I'm I skeptical. I, unless there's some sort of mediated different kind of escape, right? Like maybe it's something we can't even imagine at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to make knows? a garden and be like, uh, whatever the, I, I guess that's very bourgeois of me, but whatever. Like, uh, like, <laughs> I, I, I got a painting back yesterday from um, the show I was in at the Decor de in Massachusetts. And I don't know, somehow it was encased in this crazy amount of wood. Like I never build um, crates. Uh, crates or yeah. anything like that for the work. It just goes in cardboard, you know? I mean, I, I work pretty much like thick, thin to thick and they're pretty, the relative, relatively thin paintings. Um, I, I like medium. And, um, <laughs> and so I can roll them, I can fold them. Like, it's like, they're pretty indestructible. And so I was like, what the hell is this thing doing in a crate? And, and the, um, and the shippers were laughing because I was kind of like, what the hell is that thing? And we couldn't get it through the doors. So I was like, take it off. And then, and then I wasn't mad. We were all just laughing. And, um, and, um, and then I just, I was like, just leave it on the street and I'll dismantle it. And, and I'm now reassembling it into a, <laughs> into a, uh, um, like a, a, a shelf to contain seedling starters for the spring. Oh, nice. Good repurpose. <laughs> I thought you were going to say mean... like an office desk or something. Isn't that charade funny that we do too? Because I feel that every time I go into a gallery and they pull out a piece of work of yours for some reason and they white glove it and there's like five people around it and they feather dust it. And I'm like, do you, if you, do you realize the way this thing is being treated in the studio? It's like, it's getting tossed around and like thrown all over the, you know what I mean? It's so funny to see the life of it. I mean, these guys should know. It. I mean, I actually, I actually just did Yossi Milo, who I just did the show with. We, we, we really met as, as through, um, well, like through Lou Fertino, but, and, and when I did that show with Lou at Manya Row in the summer of 2018 and, um, and from the minute he came in here, I, I mean, there were so many paintings that I was throwing around, like, you know, like they were uh, like, I don't even know, like bananas in a carton or something. Just like, bonk. and, um, <clears throat> and then he, we actually, you know, finishing the show decided that we just wanted to like spend time because it's like, I don't know. It, he's a funny one. He, he really just wanted to, he wanted to have a conversation with me that didn't, that felt more in depth and natural. So he asked if I would paint his portrait, which I've never painted a, a dealer um, before. And um, I, I, at the, after doing this, I, I feel like I still haven't because I mean, I painted Yossi Milo, but I think at some point the, the conversation kind of, you know, diverged into some, you know, um, kind of fucked up, perverted, 
not not gossip, but just like perverted rant that we sort of like bantered back and forth. And it was really fun. And it was kind of wonderful that, you know, sort of like he really wanted to extend himself to do that. And, and also knowing that, um, you know, these are these are not really the most saleable things. Um, I've made a lot of portraits over the years and I, I really like them. That They're kind of like a big, um, I really, I should say, I don't, I don't know about liking my own paintings. That's a weird thing to say. I didn't mean it that way. I mean, I've really loved doing them and I, I, I really, I really like making them with someone. And that process has really changed the way that I, I generate ideas in the studio. In fact, it's become a kind of, interestingly enough, a sort of like prolonged interview process mm -hmm. where yeah. we're out of these sessions, I'm extracting um, narratives and prompts for, for paintings. So, so, um, so it's become really a way to kind of like get out of the um, socially to get out of the cycle of, of, of technologies and of, and of work and of to any any um any kind of definition of like what it would mean to be productive right you know what's um, funny i'm do, these are the same things for me the, yeah. except instead of feeding the paintings i feel like they just feed my life it's just yeah. a way to get out of my own head and the world for you know a, once a week to just talk no, with I, people. I, I, I think I there's something think, to be said for that you know I, do, I don't think there's a difference i think really in the end that they might result in a, a painting and there might be other paintings born out of it but that's feeding my life you know it's like it's kind of the same thing um yeah um, well ideally making art is you know yeah. you recalibrating your relationship with the world and to some extent yes. other than yeah. and sometimes to your point you don't like that like <laughs> I don't necessarily like this relationship. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to like your paintings and like what you do. Obviously, we're all trying to make something that we feel that is doing something that's uh, you know self-satisfying in a way. Or else, how you know that would be. Odd I know. Wouldn't that be crazy to 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 navigate? You know. Do you think David Warjanovich liked his own paintings? That's a good question. Actually, I just there's a list there that we could put up of like, do you think this person really liked their own paintings? <laughs> was it about, was it actually about liking their painting? I, I, I just watched that documentary because I'm, I'm really close with um, Judy Glansmith, who I, I really just love her. And you know, she was really close with him. And I think she was one of the people in the room, you know, when he passed and stuff. And so I watched a documentary last night and I thought to myself, like, I, I think this work is so urgent that I, you know, unlike what I think many, um, many young artists are doing today, which is, you know, I mean, and, and who can blame them, but it, it's sort of like become this kind of, um, this kind of, you know, uh, corporate model of, of what it means to, you know, achieve success and, um, and 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 security um different metric right it's yep. a totally different metric and yeah. and um and of course you know it's like they all go to these expensive grad schools including the one i teach at and um, how dare you how dare i bitch um <laughs> and um it's like i'm 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 navigating this you know whole process right now and it's it's you know i mean the the broader problem is not a school like RISD or you know penn state or upenn or whatever, uh, Tyler, where I went to school, you know, the, the, the broader problem is that, you know, 
this country is not invested in education in any way, shape or form. It's all about military industrial, which has taken over the language of the education system. I mean, where do we begin? But, um, but, um, but, th but that investment, you know, creates a mindset of, you know, well, I want to, you know, I have to then succeed. I have to be in the right place so that I can, I have to have the right amount of cachet to, to be able to know that I'm successful, which basically means paying off my debt. And, and like, you know, Warjanovitz, like, I mean, it's just crazy. It still blows my mind. Like, how do you end up, how do you end up, how do you end up in New York as like doing tricks, you know? And it's like, does that possibility even exist? And would we even know what that art looks like? You know, um, it I took a while. Just... I think the the shifts in that because I think a lot about you know that that gap and I think to like I'm sure you can relate to this as a teacher when you deal with different generations and younger artists that you try to understand that sort of like maybe a parallel like things are always different but then there's like a different shell or there's a different way that it gets mm -hmm. out there's still those feelings but it manifests itself in a different way you know so like with music you know, like to your comment earlier, like did Darby Crash really think his voice was good? <laughs> did the germs really like their music or was it just an urgency that they needed to just blast, mm -hmm. just like get it out there? And I think nowadays maybe that kind of core mm -hmm. sensibility, a, a desire is there, but the vehicle that it gets expressed as is mediated in a different way. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's through this sort of, language of online memes and like texting and social platforms and all that stuff so it, it's kind of like it's it's probably just there but it's a little different and it's in a different vehicle i think yeah it's just distributed in a kind of flat way versus a sort of vertical way right in the same way and think about now or or it, it was very personal like to see, I didn't see the germs in concert, but I don't know if you've ever seen the decline of Western civilization that oh, yeah. documentary. I mean, that is as sweaty and in your face and visceral as you can imagine of being in in front of people being creative. I mean, you know I saw I mean? the I saw the butthole surfers in like 1987. Now, That's like pretty raw, right? <laughs> I saw Guar, and it actually does touch you. <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, it was crazy, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, and that was at that point, it was already past the point. I mean, I, you know, but it was still actually it wasn't because it was at this tiny bar that I can't remember the name of in Kansas City, the Underground or something like that. I can't remember. And it was so small and sweaty, and I just remember just smelling piss and and. Well, you know, whatever. I don't. I don't want to fetishize that either. But, but, but to a certain extent, like you know, um, I, I think like ten, whatever it was about seven years ago, the raincoats toured, and my partner had seen the raincoats in like 1982 in Philadelphia, and that was like the period that like Real Marcus was like writing about. Like, well, that was either the most amazing thing I just saw or the biggest shit show that's ever been thrust in my face. You know. And it was just like, again, one of these things where, like Warjanovich, where it was just like, you know, I, I, I don't care if, if I make money or if I'm playing to an audience of 
of 12, you know, this is, this is what has to be, this, this is what I need to say, you know, it's like. Right. Um, but that, that was, that was in an atmosphere where that stuff was celebrated and people would say to you, you need to say what you need to say. Nowadays, <laughs> everyone says you need to make a living. <laughs> or well, be very that, careful what you say right so or, it's a complete different environment or people are saying say it to who people need to say and to, and, and it, who you need to speak to for your own audience and right good luck with that sorry we, we that we charged you seventy thousand dollars to tell you that advice which you should have already known you know it's like <laughs> it's like <laughs> i don't know not that, Although, that whenever 60, let's say, <laughs> yeah, stupid. I, it's so stupid, you know. I know. But the, not to go on a tangent on that, but just really quickly, don't you think that, I mean, there's this, um, isn't the idea that, though that it's more than like the, the value of that stuff, while not worth the price tag, is <laughs> the community, the discussions, the, the, the environment. It's much more than yeah. just the teacher, student dynamic right because when i think back to grad school i learned so much but not uh, i mean a percentage of that was in the classroom and it would i would even venture to say the minority of what i learned was actually in the classroom yeah and the rest was peripheral stuff you know yeah we and and that's certainly something that we know well understood i think about that um you know and and again it's just because i just saw this movie and it's like oh my god like hearing his voice and everything again like it's just so beautiful um the uh you know the relationship between him and Hoosier is just like that kind of intensity like that rendezvous wouldn't would would never have happened in in academia it's like it's like it's like how do you um that friendship doesn't get forged in within those institutional walls like so I guess I just say like the, the most interesting friendships I, I still have, I feel like um, did some of them happen in, in academia without a doubt. And, 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 and many of them did not. And, and, um, and they sort of don't fit that compartmentalizing or whatever it is. Um, but yeah. yeah That's true. So not to change the subject, but no, I mean, growing ahead. up in Kansas city or in Kansas, Mm-hmm. Right, and then you went to. KC, yeah, I did not AI. grow up in Kansas right. City. Yeah, it's a it's a suburb. Um, I mean, you know, I used to when I played music, we played in Kansas City, and that's pretty much the extent of what I know about it. But a great place to you know, I don't know, it had a good vibe to it. But I mean, how was it when you were growing? I mean, you said it was you struggled with you know the Kansas. Uh, I mean, phenomenon. <laughs> what it Kansas was City. great. It was a great place for, for music, um, you know, especially as I got, I mean, it, all through high school and stuff, I saw like amazing bands. Like, you know, that was, that was great. People came through. It was. Oh, it's a perfect spot. I mean, yeah. Kansas City was, it was an ideal location for when you're touring. It's just a great location. So everyone comes through Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. That, that was the, that was, um that was the early education was the, was the, you know, like, I just remember, um, I remember I was working in a bar called Thirsty's, <laughs> called Thirsty's Cantina, which I don't know if it's still there, but it was on like state line. It was like right on the border of Missouri, Kansas state line. And um, 
it, you know, they did like R&B and blues and every once in a while they'd have like a punk band. It wasn't the best music venue, but, um, you know, I basically was paying my way through school there. Like I had, I had like a, a, a tad bit of, I had to earn money. I had, I remember going to the, the registrar's office every week and giving them $128 in cash <laughs> tips, like <laughs> rolls of one. It was like, okay, nice. I made it this week and they would crack up. Um, I, I, I wasn't on a scholarship. I don't know what, what, what was up. My, my parents actually probably cause I couldn't have even earned one to tell you the truth. But uh, my parents had owned this business, but my mother was quite sick. And so it looked like they had a lot of money on the books, but really the business was kind of folding and they couldn't give it up because, um, cause there was so many medical expenses. So they had to keep the health insurance. That's, so I guess maybe this is really indicative and it's funny cause Wojtunovic talked amazingly about like how, you know, being sick is such a political act in this country because of, of how, um, of how, um, not taken care of our citizens are um, in terms of healthcare. And, um, and he speaks very eloquently about that. And clearly, um, anyway, that, that such was the case with my family that, um, that they were driven into debt and bankruptcy because of, because of, of, um, of the lack of public healthcare in, in, in our economy. And, and later, you know, I mean, later on, um, because of, the leanings of, of Clinton and stuff uh, that, you know, my father went hardcore into the Republican realm because he could blame Clinton somehow. I'm still, I, I would, I would say I'm still scratching my head about it, but he deserves it, you know? So, 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 um, you know, this, this smaller government, you know, Reaganomics madness. Um, so, so like I grew up in the heart of that and the Bible belt and, um, and uh, homophobia, like, galore so when i when i was in art school there was you know at the art institute it was very um very open and that was like an absolute like starlit like divine diva moment for me i just it was life-saving like i just breathe, was like right? yeah you probably huge. felt like you could actually breathe i actually felt like i could breathe in fact i just took a deep breath right now i'm just thinking about it but um but you know the trauma's there this trauma's old or whatever but um but yeah, I couldn't, I, you know, it was like one of these things where I was in one of these white families that's supposed to be middle-class, that's like living on a kind of debt economy, looking somewhat wealthy on, on the, on the books, but actually falling apart. Um, but it was eighties, you know, <laughs> it was like, in the, it went, it lasted until like the mid nineties when my mother died. But um, the, this whole kind of like weird float between middle class and bankruptcy, you know? And so, and, and so I, you know, as learning in art school, learning about Marxism, learning, learning about feminism, you know, really learning about um, so many histories, including of course civil rights stuff, um, just, just made me just turn away from that background that it also rejected, you know, me. Uh, my sexuality. So it was kind of like an easy pivot. So I didn't mind working like four or five days a week and paying $128 of cash to be in school because I knew it was the place I wanted to be. 
but I was still a woman. And, you know, I mean, like my professors, like, you know, took um, a lot of the male professors took very little interest in in their women students back then, as you can imagine. But things have changed. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, slowly and not to the fullest that they should, but definitely in the right direction, I hope. Um, yeah. So what, so with the parallel to all that, like your creativity when you were growing up, I mean, were you, is it something you were just drawn to all the time? It was like a default. And then whenever you moved to Kansas city, like how did that, like, what were you doing? What were you making? Or what was your sort of, you know, what was the expression that you're getting out? I'm imagine there's some catharsis there maybe in creating, but that's being presumptive. (laughs) Um, so I, so I, um, I think it's always been about finding an, an apologetic way of embodying, um, like sexuality, desire. Um, um, yeah, it's always been, uh, uh, always been about that. And I had like literally, um, no way of accessing those literacies, um, until I met this crazy Canadian named Wendy Geller. Um, who taught at Kansas city and she was um, like deeply, deeply um, uh, when I met her, like, just like not swimming, but surfing post-structuralist feminist theory, like out the fucking wazoo, like out the ass, out the pussy. Like, and I mean that in the sense that like, I remember once going to a show of hers in Lawrence, Kansas at KU it was like my senior year and a bunch of us had performed in this video she did about, about a kind of um, medieval garden and these, these sort of pagan um, enactments of, of um, like sex without um, whatever, a polymorphic sexual um, rituals. And I love that she, I mean, this is something that you just literally could not do today. Like, um, have your students perform as though they were <laughs> right. having sex with Times each other. Times have changed. <laughs> You'd be out of there like, so quick. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, like we went to see her show, and and um, and um, and she was literally in one of the videos. Like, oh god, no wait, was she, yeah, no, no, I think that piece was in that too. I know it was in a piece I saw later in 1992 when I went through Saskatchewan to see an installation she had done. But she was literally at like, um straddling and fucking a tree <laughs> sure. and it was like and it was like she was you know i mean you could go per- per- perhaps go down the list of like who she was reading at that point from you know at that point like butler was there but hadn't quite taken stride but you know it was like a lot of chris Deva, and then that wasn't really post-structural no I mean, she did the whole she and she gave it all to us and she shared this with us and it was really transformative um to have this person somehow randomly stumble into my life and it was like this this classic thing when you really meet and i, I think bell hooks talks about this beautifully like when you the erotics of learning like she spoke openly and embodied and performed erotics. Um, I mean, I think in a very um, indexical way, but nonetheless, she, she, she showed these things. She represented these things. And, um, and she also 
um, gave us the theoretical um, text for those things and was trying to desublimate our imaginations in a very overt way. Like, um, and in the eighties of Kansas city, that, that was, that was not something that it was, was so common, you know? I mean, I did, I did meet Vito Akanchi like it, at, at UMKC, at, you know, after he had like showing the, the piece where he's underneath the thing and sounds like he's masturbating. I always forget the title of that thing. So, like not, I mean, there's so many things that Vito did that are so great, but and anyway, it's like, there was things that happened with people that came in our paths that, you know, led us to decide the, these, these ideas of like, of like desublimation, not in a, not in a, um, not in a way of like, oh, you know, you're repressing our sexuality, but rather, you know, because I think Foucault pretty much annihilated that idea that, you know, that, you know, we live in a society that, that isn't repressed. But, but this other thing, right, this other passage into the sexual imaginative that, that um, is, is not um, normalized or surveyed or policed, right? Like this was her project. And, and, um, and it was mine too, because, you know, I mean, I, I was, um, I was queer with no literacy around what that even meant in a place that did not welcome it. And in a family that didn't know what to do with it, um, I would say didn't welcome it either. Um, but they, they've gotten better over the years, whatever, doesn't really matter. Um, and, um, and so like that was, that was, that was central, um, to, to um, I think my attraction to her, which was as intellectual as it was erotic in, in, a, in the way that Bill Hooks talks about it, not, you know, jerking off erotic, but a different kind of erotic pathos. And uh, so, so that was, that was like the start of it. And it's funny because over the years, I, I see so many things that I am making work about and I'm like, you know, you know, Wendy and I had that conversation like at a bar, you know, after we did a studio visit in like 1990. And it was funny, like even as an undergraduate, we used to go to the bar and have drinks afterwards. Right. <laughs> like, it's like <laughs> also something that would never happen today. Yeah, that's but true. She, that did happen. Yeah. She was that really, uh, she she went through NASCAD with like Moira, Moira, Moira Davies and and then she went through UCSD um, in that period in the early 80s when it was really interdisciplinary and super radical. Yeah. And so that was huge for me. Well, and, how did and that, it merge into the work? I mean, did it merge into work visually from the get-go or was it more of a parallel to, you know, the creative process and, and how you're feeling about yourself? You know what I mean? Like how directly was that convergence of you know, how you were feeling. And then whenever you got in there and you got exposed to the stuff that you weren't exposed to before and opened up doors in the mind and all that. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll be above. I mean, I think it just, it's that thing that it's not like permission to be happy. It's that permission to, to um, make demands of your work and be willing and, and, allow the work to, to pose questions or whatever, to say shit that like you just didn't understand could be said, you know? And, and, and it was like that from the get go. It's always been like that. 
Now, here's an impossible question. And then reading, reading and, and to bolster that, of course. Right. Um, this, sorry, this is like a, this is an impossible question. But if you think the environment when you're coming of age and is welcoming and you didn't have to apologize, or you did have permission, mm-hmm. how do you think your creative, your relationship to the creative process would have manifested itself? Would it be different or what? You know what I, I mean? mean like, I, it's. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm like, um, I feel like so many, well, maybe that's why so many folks rightfully so are talking about trauma like today as like um, so central to like what art can be useful for. I'm not useful in any kind of verifiable way, but right. like useful for in the sense that, you know, when I think about to go back to Warjanovich, which I'm not trying to compare myself to him, but um, but I'm just thinking about him so much it's also because my friend judy's husband just died so i was thinking about her which is why i watched the movie and she's a voice in that film and she says a really beautiful thing but um but um i i don't think that rajanovich would have been the same artist um had his father not been a psychotic abusive alcoholic douchebag no right yeah um and which is not to say that like Oh God, that means we need more psychotic douchebag fathers so we can have great artists. Like <laughs> right. that would be insane. Like, like we don't want that. Um, um, you know. But that's I think that about- age-old dilemma of like every single stand-up <laughs> comedian says that they have a really messed-up childhood, and they're like, "I wouldn't be as funny as I am if I didn't." You know, if my dad wasn't a total asshole. But then it's like, but it would have been nice to not have an asshole for a father. <laughs> <laughs> What's you that know? line in the um, in that amazing? Nick, the song, I forget who wrote that song for um, Nico, or maybe she did, but I don't think, I think it was probably like John Cale or something, the, the Lenny Bruce song, where she's like, she's like, she's like, why did you leave your life to your mother? It was like, after all you hadn't got, why did you leave your life? To your mother. It's so good. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, girl, you are saying it. Um, yeah. um, I, you know, so, oh, God. Uh, um, I, I don't think Lenny Bruce would have been that brilliant either. Um, so probably my work would have been much different. Um, but um, I'm glad I guess it we just, we. Is. Uh, yeah, I guess we just navigate, we like kind of navigate the waters that we're given, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would imagine like if you're, you know, if you grow up in really choppy waters, you just <laughs> learn how to fare in bad weather. You know what I mean? And, and it's not, um, I mean, comparatively, it's not really that bad, you know, but. Of uh, course. Yeah, yeah. It's all relative. Yes. I mean, there's, you know, there are things. It's like, it's like, I, I feel like I had like a very, um there was a very strong need to not um, to not pursue the life that my family was so forcefully. Um, I mean, it was like the classic situation of like, you know, oh my God, it's going to be horrible. Your life's going to be so hard if you're gay. And I'm like, I don't want your life. I mean, my mother was, was ill and that was not her fault, but she was also very depressed, you know, in the kind of classic, like, you know, mother's little helper kind of situation there. And so it's hard, you know, you wonder the chicken and the egg, you wonder the cause and effect and the cycle of those 
of that where the where the mental illness you know feeds the physical illness well the whole thing right the psychosomatic um cycles and um um which are very of course we all know very real and and it was like no i i like I don't want to end up there. And it was, it was very confirmed because, you know, my mother was sick and she probably would have died in, in around the time she did, but she, she actually took her own life and took, I forget what, a bunch of, a bunch of something fabulous and just kind of drifted off. And, um, but I, so I was pissed because I didn't get to see her again. So it was very clear to me that this was that normalization as Foucault would have called it, would have was 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 not only not for me, but was U G L Y. You know, was yeah. just it just sucked. And I think I've been reading a lot of Butler. I've been just you know read that um, the power of nonviolence and you know uh, some Moton um, and and uh, and then I decided I just had to go back to Foucault a couple months ago just just because I'm like these even someone like Fred, who is of course, like, I think very, very deeply dismantled the idea that even being a subject in a Western culture is, um, you know, like this idea that, you know, like emancipation or liberation would somehow be like um, about gaining subjecthood. And I think the most amazing thing that like black skepticism has brought to the fold is like, why the fuck would I want to be a subject in Western culture? Like you people are insane. Like, just like, <laughs> like you just want to consume everything and you want everything to be on your terms. You know, I mean, I just think it's one of the most innovative like twists of, of, um, of this thing that has been like a kind of um, a given as, as a, as a goal, as an expectation for um, um, like life. Um, and it's so deeply embedded in, in our democratic capitalist system that it's just like so great for me um, to to see that articulated, to then go back and, and read Foucault again and, and understand um, like how, how, um, how richly he, he, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say he laid the groundwork for Moton because he didn't, but, um, but that there were great little, um, there were like little tents he put up that, that Moton was able to um, pick up and, and redeploy in, in ways that I think are even more urgent and amazing. You know, I mean, it's just like, for me, it's just thinking about the way, the way Foucault think, uh, has, has, on a more nuanced way thought about sexuality or I mean, certainly the incarceral system and surveillance and all of that language, like that he's innovated so much um, that goes to the core of this issue of, of the self and of, of individuality um, is, is um, so central to me understanding in hindsight what we just talked about that there's yeah. that there's like no way I want to go down that path because like it is literally the path of desolation and destruction <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and 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 also you know privilege to the point of 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 no return yeah yeah
yeah, the panopticon like these days takes on, mm-hmm. it's so prescient, you know, and thinking about the way in surveillance, like the, mm-hmm. I remember reading a lot. I mean, I don't remember the specifics at this point, but how much mm-hmm. the panopticon, the idea of that sort of thing shaped me and how that's been sort of like mm-hmm. a touch point in a lot of the work that I do over time of, yeah, it's, it's just timeless in a way. And I think it speaks to, like you're saying, like him having the pulse of like what, is making people tick in certain um, areas of the world, you know, what's the driving force and it takes on different shapes and, and vessels, but it it ultimately there's a consistency to the, uh, to the ideas behind it. Mm -hmm. I I liked hearing John, um, a comfort talk about uh, Derrida and his idea of the hauntologies, like that, not ontologies, but hauntologies, which I right. love. That, that um, I just feel like there's so many OOOs out there today. That, um, but anyway, um, Timothy Morton freaks when he is pretty fabulous. But, but the, but the hauntologies, and, and I hadn't heard any. You know, I, I, I had read that text, and to tell you the truth, I think it went over my head in a way. I, I, I just sort of got it, but then hearing a, a comfort talk about. Um, you know, architectures, landscape spaces, things like that. These things that like I often use for the kind of armature for the paintings. Um, and I think I've been doing that all along, even from like the works back in the mid 2000s where I was like a mockifying, um, uh, you know, these classic, you know, these central, whatever, canonical modernist buildings, absurdifying them. and. Um, and then, but now thinking about architecture and like very much like a tableau kind of theatrical set, um, uh, almost more like a Palladian idea. But um, but uh, but just just that he could that he could cite and celebrate, you know, this this work that is so radicalized and and I think decentralizing the self and to do it with this like to to do to collaborate with. And to celebrate the influence of Derrida it got me kind of excited because because I feel like there's also this you know there's always this kind of um, how should I say you know theory hating intellectual hating trend this populist trend that often happens in the art world and I think in certain art critics um, um, modalities you know where it's like there, I feel like there's often work that's that's very celebrated for 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 being authentic, like authentic. I'm saying that with like a look of bafflement on my right, face right. and, and like, and, 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 um, like kind of for its expressivity and it's, it's authorship. And I'm like, are we really, really, we're really going to wipe the seventies, eighties, nineties and, 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 uh, uh, and, and theoretical progress, like off the face of the earth, because like, we're going to like, we have to decolonialize. We have to decolonialize. Like, ah, I'm just like scares me, you know, because I'm like, you know, so it's like I like to see people like Torquase Dyson or 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 John that are like doing exactly what the world needs in terms of like opening up our our the possibilities of like who are the the most amazing voices speaking, you know, in um in our circles these days, but, um, 
but that there's but that they're also intellectuals and that that's still a role model that we need, we need desperately especially right. in this yeah. shit show of a country <laughs> i mean not that john, john is british but turquoise of course is a chicago person yeah. yeah well i mean the the it's it seems like philosophy and you know, reading and, and those are, you know, big parts of like how you're navigating the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you like, so let's take like what you're working on now. What, what are, what are the sort of areas that you're kind of mining and what are you currently sort of invested in as far as like, you know, the iconography, the way you're working and its relationship to sort of all that cloud around you of of influence <laughs> things you're reading and thinking about and experiencing with culture i do really love this notion of hauntologies you know um but specifically um um i mean so so specifically i could say uh there's there's a few things um th there again um <clears throat> okay so the a lot of the works that that I'm making are done in um, in banter or conversation. So the like the entire show I did the Yossi Milo show, but I also had a show up at um, M and B. Now the show is less important than the um, than the the swath of this body of work that was exhibited there. So the the body of work, at least, sorry, at least the way it was embodied at that moment is called Angela Dufresne as William E. Jones's painting bottom. And um, I don't know if you know who William E. Jones is, but he's a dear friend. Um, he's a filmmaker and a writer um, of fiction and, and uh, obscure kind of queer histories. And, and he also like studied with Derrida at Yale. So that's kind of crazy, but anyway, and um, um, back in the, late seventies, early eighties. Um, I think that's when it was a little bit like a little bit less about me as the painter and rather me as this kind of painter in a non-hermetic way that is being commissioned, is being affected by this other, um, this other individual who has connections to all these other individuals and has done all this particular kinds of inquiries and or as or research, whatever you want to call it, um, that are sometimes of interest to me and sometimes not. And so I'm making paintings about those conversations. So like the, the series has like a bunch of um, strange, hilarious titles like um, Stalin's Vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know where to begin with that, but um, wait, that's just taken. That's something taken from the con, like out of context. That's of the a, it's not out of the. I mean, I literally asked him to give me titles, and that was one of the titles. Oh, okay. And I'm like, okay. what the fuck is this, William? <laughs> and so he, so he's hilarious. And so, and I was like, what the hell is this? And and he was like, I've been writing an, a novel. I, I, I mean, I, I was thinking about writing a novel in the late '90s a science fiction novel called Stalin's Vagina about these various things. And, and, and the, the, uh, it has to do with um, the relationship we had with this guy from Azerbaijan that was very complicated. And there was this, this whole sort of like way he had become aware of the border disparities and the kind of dissolving at the end of communism that was happening, like in that region, 
how it was being embodied differently than the way it was than the way it was in the states with Reagan and 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 Bush and then the whole like taking down of the wall thing, and he became very fascinated with with um, with the end of communism as the end of like a kind of um, the end of an era of ideology, and then the sort of spilling over into the marsh, the mess of um, pure, unadulterated, un, unadulterated capitalism. And so, and so he kind of wanted to make up this fucked up iteration of Stalin because of this, where he's, I, I, I could go on and on and on, but, you know, Stalin was like a bandit poacher before he sort of became Lenin's, you know, kind of co-conspirator as it were. And, and then later, of course, become his sociopathic murderous um, um, authoritarian self. Um, he was, he was off in countries like Azerbaijan, like stealing uh, remnants of old old regimes there and bringing it back to to fundraise personal things and then later um, um, revolutions. And so, so there's there's just an epic long story of this that's absurdist and and kind of amazing. And so that was one of the prompts. And 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 I learned a lot about about that history and not nearly enough. Um, and uh, and this affecting is is just is just a really dynamic way for me to 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 extend the work beyond the cell. Yeah. That's just like period. And 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 it could be way more, but it just happens to be that I also feel really strongly that it's 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 not necessarily about like me jerkly reacting to what's happening in the moment, but that it it comes through intimate friendship and kinship, not. Um, not a kind of reaction to the political moment per se, because inevitably these conversations always reflect back to why shit is the way it is. So I, I kind of like, it's a leap of faith. It's trust there, but the yeah. other, the other, you know, the other paintings I'm doing are, are, you know, almost always start with, um, with portraiture um, and a prolonged conversation, which is how the conversation with William started. And, uh, and and through those conversations, um, trying to build um, trying to build some uh, kind of quote unquote history painting riffs with um, these different subjects. So I've done one with Tony Bluestone, mm-hmm. um, with uh, with um, Jennifer Cabot. I've got the portrait, which is amazing. She basically instantly took off her clothes and said, "Paint me outside," and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> let me get my canvas." It was awesome. I was like, I know that she's been wanting to, whatever. I was like, I, I was like, do you want me to be naked too? Like, what do you think? Like, I don't know. And she was like, it's fine. But anyway, it was hilarious. And then the, this was upstate. And then the woman um, that I, I uh, rent a studio from, I need to finish the Jennifer thing first though, before I go there. I haven't painted the narrative painting that Jennifer and I have come up with, but she wants me to do a really elaborate um, store interior mm-hmm. where it's, um, it's uh it's um it's this group of um of i mean basically it's kind of connected to that show at the decorbia the visionary new england since these were um sort of semi-utopic or utopic communities that were that were were trying to live um on a low impact on off the land and in um 
radical communities of the uh, more equal communities. But this is a 19th century group whose name I I'm sorry, Jen, I can't remember. It's a uh, it's they're they're in upstate near where her place is and where our place is. And um, and um, I've got to make this you know kind of epic sort of commons space of this store um, as I imagine it and as how she will imagine it with me with a cast of characters and goods and and potentially other fun and games um, so that that's that's an, that's the work I'm going to be at least starting with her and then Tony Bluestone basically wants me to do some kind of super gay version of um, like Arcacento Arcacenta with the Paolo Soleri community in the Southwest, although he didn't really know about it, but he was describing it to me. And so I was like, dude, like this is Arcacento, you know that, right? And, and he was like, whoa, what's that? And he, then he saw it and freaked out. It's like amazing. He's like, I want the buildings to kind of be like, like cement tents. And I was like, whoa, this is weird. Anyway. Um, so th they're, they're, cause it's, it's so resemblant of that. And, and, so, th so the list goes on, but there was a, also the woman who um, gives, uh, loans me the studio upstate, which I end up being like kind of like her, her artisan residence slash handyman. Um, the um, uh, Myrna Greenhall, who's been an activist up in like Margaretville area in the Catskills forever, and is also just like the world's just sweetest, cutest, awesomest woman and beautiful and uh she's just kind of has this like unbelievable like generous welcoming presence it's like insane and she um i painted her portrait and she really wanted to be on the space station with jennifer Meir. <laughs> so that's why that space station painting existed in that show that i just did at yossi's I'd like to actually like to do a bunch more this sort of like really she got really excited about this idea of like gravity lessness and um it's something I've been interested in for a really long time um as as like a radical state and I think it's that unbound state of um uh that that's to a certain extent we could conflate back to like the lack of subjectness no so so not the lack of subjectness as like someone who is incarcerated or a slave, but the person who decides that the subjectness as it's defined in our culture sucks yeah. so bad that they're going to do something else. They're going to actually imagine a different future. So, so these are, yeah, untethered. And so this is, um, these are the kind of things I'm thinking about. My dream is that um, I, I'm going to, and, invite Sylvia Frederici in and paint her portrait and see what kind of a future commons she wants. Although she's written enough about it, I could just, I could just do that, but that would be kind of counter to the project, which is- You wanted to come up with something new, right? Well, no, I just wanted to have the conversation with her over a different kind of duration, you know, yeah, like yeah. in a presence, a, a, you know, an in situ kind of conversation. It, it always means something different. And I mean, it's why I make paintings. Um, it's, it's why it's not, I don't make films. I mean, I, I have made videos, but I, I make them less and less because I, I guess in all of this mediated madness, I'm, I become more and more, a, um, like as a, a, not the studio as like escapism or anything like that, but, but I just, I just get a bigger and bigger appetite for touch and yeah. for, for 
corporeality. Tactility. Mm-hmm. The hand. Yep. And the voice it's, and the smell and the aching hips. Like, I like to see all that and feel it and empathize with it. The mosh pit. <laughs> or the opposite, the flying hips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. So um, for people who, you know, want to keep up with you and, and see your work and stuff, what's the best way? I mean, you had these and, and what like what shows you just had and what you have coming up, maybe. So. Yeah, there was just the the show at Yossi Milo, which just closed last Saturday. Yeah. Um, the long and short shots, and uh, the NNB show, which was the painting bottom, that was in February. It's it it ended. Um, upcoming is a show that's curated by Abram um, Finkelstein. The um, it's called Omniscient. It's a it's a it's at the Leslie Lohman Museum. It's gonna it's a bunch of artists that are. In Abrams' definition, like dealing with a kind of queer archive, um, like a way of sort of kind of extending, um, a, 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 yeah, a queer archive. I mean, to a certain extent, like this kind of like worshiping of pop culture, but f- from a different, yeah, from it, from maybe a, a a nascent perspective. I don't know how to say it any other way. It's brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, it's on the Leslie Lohman site. You can read Abram writing about it, which is way more articulate than I can be. Sounds good. Anything um, else? I, I don't know. I think for now, Website, that's good. And do you have, do you keep, I mean, I follow you on social media. Yeah. So you do have Instagram, but I mean, it, with the website, is it gallery related or your own or, or do you bother with that stuff? Oh, I do have a website, which desperately needs to be updated. Um, I think that's but, most uh, websites, right? In yeah, general, because I mean, we all get so busy with the day to day and like, you know what I mean? It's hard to archive when you're constantly, you know, yeah. moving through new things. The, yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, right now, the most up to date thing is definitely on, on Yossi's site and, and, and maybe uh, Instagram. Um, but yeah, also like I'm involved in um, in a lot of uh, as much uh, I sh- could be way more, but um alongside the studio. There's also advice um, vote, which is uh, artist designers vote for, um, I'm going on, I can't even remember the actors of the artists, designers vote for civic engagement. It's, a, it's, it's, it's basically faculty in different institutions like you and I, but especially you in Pennsylvania that, <laughs> right. um, that are, are doing, um, vote to inspire civic engagement sorry there we go that's the vice part um perfect the the um it, it's it's a platform that i started with lisa sanditz teaches at bard um we roped in pretty much early on um anoka faruki from yale mm-hmm. and um we've been really involved in trying to like foster civic engagement like within our student bodies, but also across institutions. And this is something I've worked really, we worked really hard with Walk the Walk, which Anoka is the founder of, and Artists for Democracy, who are out based in LA. And these have been um, a big part of this last year that um, I'm not putting down just because we we have some savior in the White House, because clearly that's not the case, um, but um, a way that artists can um, use these 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 media tools to um, 
affect change and the work that I think advice helped in, but, um, but um, the work that like uh, walk the walk organized for um, getting out the vote for um, communities that were being very deliberately disenfranchised is a huge, was huge. It actually um, may have made the difference in, in um, the states that we know um, needed it. And yeah, so sure. we want, we clearly see there's a backlash um, against that work and, you know, Republicans are doing some batshit crazy fascist stuff right now. And so we're not stopping. So I, I, I just want to emphasize so the artist for democracy is on Instagram, walk the walk 2020 website, Instagram and advice vote 2020. Those are all Instagram feeds where we're, we're staying abreast to all this bullshit happening in Georgia and to, um, and to especially right now, it seems to be the seed, but um, also just following um, along um, the threads that, uh, that we need to do in terms of these seated elections um, and trying to turn more of the Senate and the House Democrats so that we actually, um, and also there's hardcore um, pressure about this, the standing filibuster situation. So everybody pay attention to those and support those organizations and, um, and make sure that, you know, whatever vestige of democracy we still have is still standing. That's a big part of what, what I do besides everything else that I'm doing. That's great. I mean, it's, that's like hero work. You're doing a lot. (laughs) I don't know, man, but we try anyway. It's been really nice talking. Yeah. It was great talking to you. Thanks for doing it. Of course. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com or finding images at Sound and Vision Podcast on Instagram. You can check out more about my work at brianalfred.net. Many thanks to Angela for taking the time out to speak. You all know about the Rhode Island School of Design where she teaches. It's a great program. Look into it. Also, many thanks to Lalatone for the intro outro music and Michael Lovett for his introduction. You can check out more about Lalatone on Instagram at Lalatone and they have a great Bandcamp page where you can check out their music like the stuff you're hearing right now. Uh, check out Michael Lovett in Metronomy and his band Nazca Lines, often playing online and will pretty soon be out back on the road again. So check out those European dates for people over there listening. If you can, please go to iTunes, leave a rating or review, or any other platform that you're listening to this on. Many thanks for listening. Got some great episodes coming up, so make sure you keep tuned.